Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of our Grand Thornton COP28 series, part of the Financial Services, Risk and Regulation and Ravel podcast. Today, I'm joined by Nick Kimardas, the Executive Director of the not-for-profit organization Global Canopy. Nikki has been instrumental in the rapid expansion of Global Canopy as the organization has sharpened its focus on the market forces destroying nature and developed new partnerships around the world, including as one of the founding partners of the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures. Welcome to the podcast, Nikki. Great to have you and thank you for joining us. Huge thanks, Serena. It's a pleasure to be here. Just before we kick off with some more topical questions, given that today is the last day of COP28, can I perhaps just ask you to tell us a little bit more about Global Canopy and its mission? Yeah, of course, with pleasure. So Global Canopy is a data-driven nonprofit. Uh, we tackle the market forces destroying nature. And our special expertise, our legacy, our history is on ending tropical deforestation. Um, but we now look at the whole range of, of impacts on, on nature and people. Um, we have around 60 people in Oxford and worldwide, and we tend to work via big partnerships. Um, you mentioned the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, and there are various others that we're involved with because we think that's the best way Collaborative action is the only way to tackle these questions at scale. I mean, why do we focus on deforestation specifically? It is at the center of solving the climate crisis, 11% of emissions with no solution to climate change without a solution to deforestation. It's at the center of the biodiversity crisis. So 80% of terrestrial biodiversity is in tropical forests. And you know, tropical forests are almost a hectare of tropical forests is almost the best proxy we've got when looking for a sort of metric on on nature, which has been evasive. Um, and of course, tropical forests are, are key to um, the well-being of people, and there are huge associated impacts on on people and on human rights. Um, I mean, there's been a much quoted study that we were partly responsible for, saying half of global GDP is dependent on nature, um, but really we have to apologize for that. Everything depends on nature. Our lives, our economies, of course, we are nothing without nature. Um, so that's the why of our focus. And, you know, how, the market driven side, this is important. I mean, you know, agricultural expansion for commodities like palm oil, beef, soy, leather, things we use every day, you know, 90% of that now estimated to be linked to uh, agricultural expansion, to be linked to global markets for these commodities that end up in our food, our fuel, our fashion. Um, so we're all part of a big deforestation economy, but it's not transparent. It's not clear. Um, and that's part of our mission is to really focus in on ensuring that we make those linkages apparent. Um, and, you know, at COP, we actually launched with UNEP, the United Nations Environment Programme, um, a state of finance for nature report. It was the third in the series um, of these landmark reports by UNEP, the first that we've joined. And that shows that $7 trillion a year in finance is uh, destroying nature is contributing to activities that destroy nature with just 200 billion a year going towards nature-based solutions. So there's a huge gap, um, but that represents a huge opportunity as well. 
Um, and I might just finish quickly by saying, you know, the what of, of what we focus on. Um, we have three key strategies, one on open data. So we work on three big platforms to bring transparency to um, supply chains and impact and dependencies on nature. Um, we have a second strategy focused on ensuring that there is sufficient pressure on markets, including from regulators. So looking at the EU and UK due diligence on deforestation that has recently come into force. Task Force for Nature-Related Disclosures is voluntary, but it increases that pressure on markets. And our third strategy is really focused on finance. How do we move the finance sector and get to deforestation-free portfolios by 2025? or as soon after as possible, that's essential. Yeah, huge discrepancy. And um, as you say, we certainly are not investing near anywhere close to what it should be. And whilst I want this conversation to be focused on, on COP, frankly, I must admit nature is perhaps the, the closest to my heart. So from that point of view, do you feel that in the last few years we have realised better in a way? Um, that nature is really fundamental, first of all, to solve climate crisis, but also to, in a way, preserve the planet. Do you feel people more engaged? Do you feel businesses are more engaged? Yeah, I think um, there's no question about it that this um, issue has come to um, the forefront in the global agenda. And, you know, for businesses, in a sense, you know, they get their dependence on nature very, very well. I mean, many very big businesses, you look at the big food companies globally, you know, a front runner like Nestle, who are taking climate change very seriously. I mean, they are also very clear that nature is at the heart of their strategy. They're a food company. Food is nature and food depends on water, on pollination services on all kinds of um, services from, from nature and from nature itself, um, without which they literally have no business. So I think many, many businesses understand viscerally their linkages and dependence on nature, and that's a really important entry point. I think when you talk about impacts on nature, which of course, you know, I've mentioned a huge coming from the private sector, you know, there's less of a, less of a sort of, um, enthusiasm to engage because that requires dramatic change because trashing nature has been a very profitable endeavor for a very long time because no value has been put on nature and because the of the lack of transparency that I mentioned before it's it's been relatively easy for businesses to or indeed countries governments to hide behind a lack of information, a lack of data. Well, that's in my supply chains. I'm really not sure. You know, and you look at not just the focus on businesses, you look at countries um, where, you know, a country like Switzerland might be doing very well on its own uh, conservation and protection, restoration of nature, but then maybe highly, highly dependent on um, activities in the trade that destroy nature in other places. And, and so, you know, that's becoming more clear, more transparent. Company, countries like 
Switzerland, the UK and others are stepping up on these issues. And that all came to something of a positive head in the um, CBD COP, the Convention for Biological Diversity, which had its um, major meeting that had been delayed because of COVID. And by the way, what's COVID if not a nature crisis? <laughs> you know, it had been delayed and um, the world came to a global biodiversity framework, an agreement on nature that mirrors the, the, the Paris Climate Agreement that has been so instrumental in driving action well, such as it is, but the action that we have at least, um, from governments, but also setting a framework for businesses to begin to take action. Um, so, you know, we're very hopeful that the um, global biodiversity framework will play that same role. And what is absolutely clear to me is that the nature crisis, the nature agenda has gone right up um, into the public consciousness, into the public mind. And are we doing enough yet to tackle it? No, certainly not. But um, there is progress, I would say, yes. It, it certainly is now a question of getting into the balance sheet, right? Just yeah, that, that, that's, that's absolutely right. And that's why we've championed with many others, Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, um, as a an approach, a way of having commonly accepted um, approaches to um, understanding, measuring and reporting on nature impacts in finance, but of course, by extension, by through the real economy, which is, um, you know, where these impacts and dependencies ultimately lie. From one agreement to another, we are in the final day of COP and finally an agreement has been reached, which in itself uh, I think is very positive news given where we were standing yesterday or the day before and all the draft texts we've seen. Um, lots of media outlets have sort of labelled this as a landmark agreement. Um, has it been a success in your view? I mean, you, it, you, as you said, it was looking horrible a few days ago. Um, and so, you know, like a Hollywood movie, uh, unfortunately, the stakes are much, much higher than a Hollywood movie, but, you know, there's a dip and then we have a resolution at the end and, you know, that feels positive. And, you know, look, this is positive. It's historic. There's a consensus on a transition away from fossil fuels. So that's, you know, a very important piece of progress that until a few days ago looked woefully and entirely out of reach. But at the same time, you know, there's not necessarily a clear time frame for the phase out. There's details that now need to be um, hammered out and filled in. And, you know, I note that the small island states group have quite understandably come and said that, you know, that this agreement, I think their word is sputters um, and that the process has failed them. And I think we just have to keep in mind the context of a world on fire. You know, we, I work on, our focus, as I've said, is on deforestation. The Amazon is in drought, not seen, you know, this level of drought and the, the, the level of the river is that it's worse for, you know, the longest time on, on record, hundreds of years. So 
And at the same time, we're at risk of reaching a tipping point in the Amazon. That science is clear now coming from the science panel from the Amazon at COP. I saw a terrifying panel, including Carlos Nobre, the eminent Brazilian scientists and others from the science panel on the Amazon showing you know, how the forest is at risk of reaching a tipping point. And I think when you look at those risks and you look at the issues and the problems we face, then, you know, in that context, has enough been done? No. But is this a historic step forward? Certainly it is. So let's keep going. You know. So that's on the fossil fuel issue. I mean, look, there are other positives here that we can take away on on nature that's been recognized within the agreements the, the the importance of protecting nature has been emphasized the commitment or uh, goal of halting and reversing deforestation by 2030 that was embodied in uh, an agreement at the glasgow cop is, is in the text and is, is reiterated there. We're seeing alignment in the agreement uh, with the um, work of the global biodiversity framework, linking the crises of climate to the crisis of biodiversity loss and nature loss, um, which I think is absolutely essential. So there's some important signals here on nature and that's certainly a positive. Um, and, you know, there were some worrying, <laughs> terrifying sort of statements or, you know, in a discussion um, with Mary Robinson um, of the Elders during the COP, you know, Sultan al-Jabbar, um, the head of the COP, had raised, you know, questioned the science behind um, the role of fossil fuels, um, which, you know, was just terrifying to me, but that led to a mobilization, a huge civil society mobilization um, behind making sure that that science is properly recognized, that the agreement remained strong. And I'm encouraged that that energy has no doubt been a contributing factor to where the agreement did end up in the end but also lays a platform for further action, for further pressure to keep the momentum going. And that's what we absolutely will need now. Yeah. And, and I guess it's going to be really interesting, I guess, that you know as well, what the, the, the most likely uh, host is for next COP and other mm. potentially oil and gas company. It'll be interesting to see whether, as you say, we see this same energy and same focus continuing throughout because it's really important to keep the momentum and related to that I guess is what do you think was crucial that was left out of the agreement? I mean there's 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 not much detail on finance I mean I think that's the, the there's a, we know there's a huge financing gap for yeah. mitigation and adaptation support for developing countries and you know, there were no financing specifics. So nature was in there, as I've said, which is good, but there was no specifics on actually financing those ambitions, financing those goals. So, you know, as as ever, you know, the question of finance looms large. It's missing in many ways from this agreement. And I think 
you mentioned next year's hosts, they will, 2024 will be a, a year of focusing on finance and that's something that they will have to pick up. The role of food systems as a critical part of mitigation, you know, there was a, there was a really positive food declaration at the beginning of COP, which really recognized that critical role that reform of food systems can play. It was signed by a huge number of countries, by the parties, but it hasn't made it, as far as I can see, into the text on mitigation. So, you know, I, I think that's that's something else significant that's that's missing, as far as I can see. Um, and then, always, I mean, we're on. There's a there's a journey here in in representing, you know, making these agreements genuinely inclusive, being clear on the vital, critical importance of protecting human rights in these transitions, having a just transition. And, you know, to some degree that's in the text, but it's starting from such a low bar and there's such a long way still to go. So we would have liked to see um, a stronger, more inclusive language um, on a number of critical issues. Um, to do with rights and, and uh, inclusion, but, uh, you know, step by step, there is um, some improvements there. Yeah, I think you mentioned the, the, the pathway, if you like, the time, the time frame is somewhat missing because there's been so much focus on the actual wording around phasing down, phasing out to end up with transition away. Uh, however, uh, you sort of uh, interpret the difference, but it's, it's, there seems to be a lot more or that needs to be done in terms of clarifying the timeframes for everybody, because we sort of ended up with some sort of an agreement, but it's quite hanging at the minute without the timelines, right? Yeah, 100%. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's, um, you know, the, the, the devil's in the details, right? And yeah. timings and how you're going to pay for it. I mean, those are things we would all want to see on any, you know, agreement that we signed on anything we did in our lives. And so, you know, yes, absolutely. That's been left high level. It's been left vague. And it's something in the nature of these COPs, sadly, which I'm sure you, like me, had many conversations with people in Dubai around the fitness for purpose of this whole process, you know, yeah. which is this consensus driven process that where these kind of micro steps are considered victories, but you know, at the same time, we're missing fundamentals on timeframes, urgency, financing, etc. So, you know, being realists, we have to say we're making progress, but it's not enough for the reasons that you've said. Indeed. Um, perhaps moving or shifting gear more towards nature, there was a, a, a day dedicated on nature and land use and, and oceans, and which for some reason, in my view, despite being attended by a huge number of um, of the states and parties and of course the non-country participants and despite there was a joint statement between the COP28 presidency and the, the China uh, as the president of the convention of the, um, the CBD COP which you mentioned um, didn't really produce the headlines somewhat um, that we might have expected or might have hoped to see. Why do you think this is the case given as you said there's a high prominence on nature in, even in the final text? Well, I mean, yeah, you, you, you've, you've said it before, right? This was a COP in a petrostate, and <laughs> fossil fuels were the number one 
focus for inclusion in the global stocktake. And so, you know, the, 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 I think the, the media, the story that was following this COP was around fossil fuels by extension, especially given the drama that we've already talked yeah. about in the preceding. But equally, as part of that nat the nature community, if you like, um, I think that there was a risk that too much emphasis on nature could have also diverted attention away, necessary attention on this question of the phasing out of fossil fuels. And there is this risk that that we see a trade-off, that there's a representation of a trade-off between action on fossil fuels and action on nature, if nature can pick up the slag. You know, we need both. We need urgent action on both. And I think it was really important that for this COP, the focus remained on fossil fuels. And therefore, I don't lament the fact that the highlights and the headlines were not on nature this time around. You know, particularly because we have a, a kind of champion in waiting, if you like, who was very present at this COP. We saw the biggest delegation ever from Brazil, you know, the world's greatest rainforest nation and a biodiversity and nature superpower and the biggest involvement of indigenous peoples from Brazil. We had Sonia Guajajara the Minister for Indigenous Affairs becoming head of delegation of Brazil when President Lula left. So, you know, really huge and important contribution and energy at the COP on nature from Brazil and the road to COP30 in two years time, where yeah, that's in the Amazon, in Belém. And we know that nature will be a key theme there. And that energy and work was already very much in action in Dubai. May not have made the headlines, but we saw President Lula bringing forth, you know, a big vision for a Tropical Forest Forever Fund of $250 billion to conserve standing forests and underwrite the development of a bioeconomy in the Amazon and other regions around the world. Okay, the money is not there, so he didn't announce money itself, but he made a very cogent call for action for the funding of standing forests and laid out that vision. And we had the Brazilian Development Bank, BNDS, announcing real money today, you know, $200 million for an arc of restoration program converting or restoring rather degraded land in the Amazon, which is a critical piece of this puzzle. There's enough land out there already for food production, just need to restore degraded land. And so there were announcements like that making, I think, really important steps forward um, that were announced at the COP. On the other hand, you know, there's on the final days, there were some noises going around about new oil exploration licenses in Brazil, not least in the Amazon region. Yeah. So, you know, Brazil under President Lula has come with ambition, with energy. We'll watch the road to COP30 in 
better them. But at the same time, we need to keep a close eye on the situation in Brazil. We definitely don't want them to end up being the third Petro state in a row. <laughs> uh, you know, if we get too much. This is exactly where we're heading, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, but look, I think I think nature was there uh, in in force, and it, we know that it will be a focus of this process very much so in two years time, not to mention the fact that we have next year, the CBD will have its 16th COP, COP 16 for biodiversity. Um, and that will come, you know, at around the same time as the as COP 29. So, you know, nature is not going anywhere. But yeah, you're right that it, it was not front and center uh, in the reporting, certainly. And it's going to be a lot of work for Brazil to do, I guess, to to your point on finance, to actually make sure that they secure this financing in uh, in the run up to COP30, which I'm sure they will be very willing to sort of produce the big headlines at that one. And I guess in that sort of um, way of thinking, in the meantime, what, what do you think we need to do? We as in people who work in sustainability, we as just individuals, as states, as different organizations to to make sure that um, such an important subject such as deforestation for example continues to be at, at the heart of the nature conversation and that we don't really lose focus um, knowing how how fundamental this is for both the, the climate or solving the climate crisis and the planet as a whole yeah uh, well look, as you say deforestation is at the heart of multiple agendas the climate agenda the nature agenda human rights agenda. Um, it's not going anywhere. It can't go anywhere. And I think one of the things we need to do is, is make that connectivity incredibly clear. And I'll give you an example. The Glasgow Finance Alliance for Net Zero, a grouping of, I think, over 700 now financial institutions with a mythical amount of associated assets, they have made a net zero commitment. It's in it's in their name. And in the transition guidance that has now been published for GFANS, for that group, deforestation is one of four action areas that are considered essential for transition planning. And the leadership of GFANS, like Bloomberg, Eric Shapiro have made very clear statement, statements that deforestation needs to be a priority. Sorry, Mark Carney too, I didn't mention. Because a net zero commitment is a commitment on deforestation. You cannot get, we cannot get to net zero without priority action on deforestation. So I think it's about taking these existing agendas and existing focuses and making absolutely clear what they really are. You know, a net zero commitment is also a commitment on deforestation, which is also a commitment on nature. These things are all closely interlinked. And we just did a piece of research at some scale where we looked at you know, over those 700 plus financial institutions and looked at their existing policies and reporting on actions 
on tackling deforestation and found that 80% of them are at the starting line. 80% of them are doing nothing at all. So there's a huge distance to travel. And I think we all need to recognize, not just you fans, but all of us, that if we're serious about climate change, we have to also be serious about nature targets and deforestation is an excellent bridge through which to do that. The, on another tack, we now have laws in the European Union on due diligence related to deforestation in imports into the EU that has huge potential for that comes into force at the beginning of 2024. The EU is a huge market. Every company worldwide that trades with the EU, if they want to keep trading with the EU, will need to adopt and comply with that due diligence legislation on deforestation. And during COP28, the UK announced secondary legislation for the Environment Act, which was an awfully long time coming, but you know, at least the, the UK got there in completing that due diligence legislation on deforestation by announcing the range of commodities and so on. So we also have these new regulatory frameworks that will keep these issues center stage and bring more companies into the fold. And I think that's just critically important. You know, the move from voluntary or high level policy ambitions to embedding them in national laws and regulation is essential with deforestation. We're beginning to see it happen. It's happening in the EU and the UK. And even in the US, there's the Forest Act, which looks to do the same thing, which is coming back in front of the Senate. Now, that's going to be, I'm sure, trickier to pass. <laughs> but, you know, that keeps these issues center stage in the real world. So I don't think deforestation certainly is going anywhere. And we mentioned at the start of this discussion, the TNFD, the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, there's a huge amount of energy behind it, has new guidance, including one agriculture relating closely to deforestation. And there's a push to get joint disclosures from companies on climate and nature together, the TCFD and the TNFD. So that's also a sort of lever and a generator of momentum in the private sector. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, campaigners yeah. will be, you know, like, like the campaign I mentioned, the Transformation is Unstoppable campaign, which says in the clearest terms, later is too late. You know, one of the pillars of that letter, of that call to action is on deforestation, is on nature. We need to grow that movement and all keep pushing for ambitious targets, climate, nature, and for people. Yeah. And I think we certainly need to give science the platforms um, that they, they need, if you like, to sort of bring that conversation to to the wider public, to the wider audience, describing, as you said, the, the links and the connectivity between nature and climate. Because I think we've now reached a place where the world, in broader terms, understands how that we are actually in a climate crisis. And I think 
we sort of need to have the same conversation about nature and, and I don't feel we are there yet, but perhaps a massive push um, on behalf of scientists and campaigners and media to actually bring that to the forefront of the ordinary person uh, like you and me normally uh, <laughs> is perhaps what we need to focus on going forward. One last question. Um, the one sort of argument we hear very often when we talk about nature uh, or the two sort of elements, if you like, is why we're not perhaps progressing as much and it is an accelerated state that, um, stage that we might have wanted is first the, the point around data, which I know is close to your heart. And then the second point is around nature based solutions, which perhaps is where I sort of want to ask you, do you feel that we are now getting at a place where we do really have much more in terms of nature-based solutions that could result in meaningful progress or is there much more work to be done in that front? I, there's much more work to be done. I mean, we've, I mean, just look, going back to, I, me, I mentioned the UNEP State of Nature, State of Finance for Nature report that we launched together at the COP which shows that huge disparity between impacts on nature and then finance for nature-based solutions, which is $200 billion um, is the estimate in that report. And to meet the Rio targets, I think the report says that needs to be almost tripled by 2030. And yet it's only grown 11% since the report started tracking it in 2021. So we've gone up 11% in the last two years, a period when there's been a lot of focus on nature, when the, at least those of us in this space have felt, as I said before, that yes, it's on the agenda of a global biodiversity framework. You hear a lot about investments in nature positive, but we've had 11% growth over two years. We need almost 300% over the next six or seven, and then even more by 2050. So there's a huge amount still to do. And I think, you know, that report, in that report, we talk about a great nature turnaround because it's not just scaling up the nature-based solutions finance, but it's also about rethinking and redefining the negative finance, that seven, trillion dollars that is going into the negatives and thinking in really smart and strategic ways about how that can begin to be repurposed to move from the negative ledger to the positive ledger and so it's not just about finding new pipeline of projects which clearly there's too little like clearly we need more there's not enough regeneration projects that, yeah, we need more, more, more. But there's also a critical question about transition. You know, how do we take the money that is already being invested, including, by the way, public money? So in the report, we showed that I can't remember the exact numbers now, but, you know, around five trillion is from the private sector and almost two trillion is from public subsidies. And we need to link those that financing for the public subsidies to ensure that there are environmental safeguards, link them to the provision of ecosystem service. If you're going to subsidize agriculture, you know, currently that's not being linked to environmental safeguards, but why not shift it to 
be linked as a metric of success to the generation of ecosystem services. You know, we need to change that the way the existing money is working to finance the transition. And so more is needed on all fronts, but we need a smart and strategic approach to this problem. And having as a piloting partner for the TNFD, you know, we've started working with businesses to look at in a more holistic way their impacts and dependencies on nature because many of these businesses will have fun being undertaken in certain sectors environmental impact assessment processes and so on but won't have looked at you know this question of dependence on nature supply chain risks you know how are their suppliers impacting nature and i think when you take that more holistic view lots of opportunities stop, start dropping out you know? yeah new opportunities for investment by thinking in a more holistic way to find efficiencies, to find new solutions, to find new business lines, to find, you know, so it's a hugely important area. We know that there's not enough action and not enough is being done, but I think I wouldn't see it simply as a scaling up of nature-based solutions per se, at least not in the traditional way, but rather think about an expansion of what we mean when we say nature-based solutions so that we can at speed reform traditional sources of finance and turn them into if you like turn them into part of the transition part of what we might call nature-based solutions through a broader definition excellent Nikki, thank you very much for this discussion. It's been great having you today and uh, I hope you enjoy the discussion as well. It's quite a different sort of focus from your usual central stage that I saw you a few times at COP, so <laughs> a different, more intimate conversation, but I hope that our listeners found it um, helpful as well. And I would uh, ask our listeners to, of course, tune in for our next episode of our COP28 series. Thank you and goodbye.